Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking once again with Daniel Silverstein, Vice President of Customer Success at Carta, whose mission is to create more owners by making it as easy to issue equity as it is to manage payroll. This is part two. In the last episode, Daniel shared his experience building a high-performance customer success organization from scratch. Today, we continue our discussion as Daniel shares how to train CSMs to provide clients with legitimate personal and professional value. I had a bit of a, of a wow moment, which is, you know, one often hears that customer support is all about the technical side, right? And customer success is all about the business side. And, you know, for those who don't know Carta as well, I've, I've used it in the past, right? So as a user, it's a place you go and you can see the, uh, the vesting status of any stock options that you've been granted. I did never see in the finance admin side, but I presume that's a way to sort of issue and manage equity that's been granted. So what's a, what the wow moment I had was your team was answering questions about cash burn and line of sight to next fundraising. How did you train your reps to even kind of be prepared to answer those questions? The short answer is like by necessity, many of these people were definitely not ready for this type of discussion with a customer. If anything, let me just frame it this way. Like that is, you work in venture capital. I think you know, like that is a very sensitive thing to talk about. Um, Not something that people want to share with you unless they absolutely have to. Many companies would not share that with their own employees. They wouldn't share it outside of potentially their board of investors or someplace else. This is sensitive information, but you're trying to find out, you know, how bad the pain is and, and where, and you can't really be helpful to a customer to its full, the fullest extent without knowing the answers to some of these questions. Some of these things, candidly, we can go find in the platform. We can, they're fundraising information very often, easily, readily available, especially if somebody's doing foreign evaluations. Like we can do some of this stuff, like and back into it. But sometimes you won't get that unless you ask. You have to be able to be vulnerable with the customer. You tell them that you're, you know, that this is challenging information. There's an empathy that comes with that, that has almost nothing to do with what the nature of the information you're asking for is. It's a, I'm here to be helpful. The only way I can really be truly helpful to you is if you're able and willing to share this level of information with me. And so, you know, we we train people here through the process to understand the, the, its relevancy on a, a customer's ability to, you know, be successful on the platform and to continue to renew on the platform. And so I would say like in a lot of ways, it's, I wouldn't, I don't worry so much about it in terms of like their technical understanding of the information as much as I, I want them to, from a customer facing perspective, be comfortable enough getting vulnerable with a customer and telling them, I know this is challenging. And we wouldn't do that under normal circumstances. We wouldn't get on a call with a customer who's doing well with us and start asking them to voluntarily tell us what's going on. But if there's a situation where they're asking for significant amounts of help and they need help, we can't be helpful unless we know the depth of the problem. Winding way, way back, right, to your initial answer to the initiative that you have been a part of that has had the biggest impact in revenue performance, your answer was the post-sale journey in general. So let's kind of wind back to you and five people, right? And how do you grow from there? How do you get from those five to to 20? And how did you get from 100K in in post-sale revenue expansion to 5.5 million in a year? So the short answer is this, like, you know, what we did was we have an advantage here because some of our product is regulatory. 
and can be regulatory. And so like it has built in moments where a customer would need to do certain things and you need to buy certain software features to make that happen. So I, I call it a little bit of an advantage. There's not that many of them, so it's not like it's not boundless in terms of what we could do. But what I basically figured out pretty quickly was like there are things that happen once a month, there are things that happen once a quarter, there are things that happen once a year. There are things that as and I modeled it after ourselves. We are a venture capital, you know, backed company for the most part. We have life cycle things that our customers also follow. And so kind of mapped it against what we do internally and found what I think are the regular occurrence of things that happen on that cadence. And then started introducing communication, proactive outbound communication to customers at scale that reflect that. Everything from like, we know January, there's a Form 3921 you need to buy for tax filing. We also know like audit season is Q1. We have a, you know, a financial reporting tool that we sell on our platform that s- serves for that purpose. And then like every quarter, like most companies are prepping for board meetings. We have a board meeting management tool. There are things within our, our platform and I sort of map them out against the calendar year. And then I introduced like the right sort of cadence for pre-renewal discussions and outreach. The ability to engage with customers at scale here is dependent on somebody being willing to do the, the outbound work themselves. So we do a lot of stuff here. We do have a CS software platform that we use internally. And we certainly like have some technology at scale that helps us with some of these things. But for the most part, the job is to identify, map it against that calendar, find the things that you know are happening on the cadence that they're happening and go find customers to talk to. Know that like behaviorally you did X, Y, and Z because your material event of Y is about to happen. It's time to reach out. And we're going to reach out to these people, you know, at scale and the purpose being, let's get conversations, let's engage with them. And if you're doing it at the right time, great, there's a revenue outcome. If you did it at the wrong time, there's a relationship outcome. Either way, if you're getting there, you know, and, and being perceived as somebody's providing value and getting on a call and, and making sure a customer knows something they didn't know before they talked to you, they need to know about how to use the platform, then you're doing it right. And so like that's that's sort of how we scaled the first year, especially was like, we know there's a bunch of nuggets in there from a revenue perspective that no one's ever touched. And we definitely like... I would say every stone that we can uncover in that world in the last four years, we have uncovered them all because we have a life cycle driven product. And there are like compliance moments in there, but there's also like a regular cadence and flow to what people do at certain times of the year. And, you know, material things that happen before and after our fundraising event specifically, you know, we just figured out the right life cycle moments to get ahead of. And we use our software tool to set up triggers. So we know when those things are happening, CSM dumps them into a sequence and off they go. Got it. You know, and you're addressing one of the questions I had, which is there's there's often a mix in this in scale CS between using a marketing automation platform to do that where you're, you know, you're mass blasting, but it could be relevant, like relevant, maybe not mass, whatever, whatever's between mass and, and targeted, there's something in between, right? Or having CSMs, as you mentioned, like load those things into a sequence. Are you more on the marketing automation side? Or are you more on the CSM running the sequence and trying to get a, a conversation going? It's not the same for every segment. So like SMB, for example, we will use some, we'll use more automation there because it's, you know, the, the ratio of CSM to customer there is just not, we, we have to, we've always had to scale that. Everything from like, what, but to be clear, we will use things, we'll tools like outreach to automate customer hits go live moment. We trigger auto, automated sequences that are all product education. So we do use a, a, automation in that way. And, you know, I would say like, for our, the beginning and bookends of our life cycle for SMB and enterprise, uh, enterprise doesn't use any technology at all. It's very white glove and hands-on direct emails. Um, but we, you know, in our mid-market book where it's most active, 
it's a combination. So, you know, we use the tango here. We there it's trigger based communication, but once the trigger is, is, you know, when somebody trips the wire, it's really just hitting a series of tasks. The CSM still has to drop a contact into outreach to do something about it. We use Marketo here for marketing communication, but, and even Tatango has a campaign function within it. But I would say like, it's more a combination of like using the CS software tool to show you the material moments you should care about, but the actual work of, of like hitting people at scale, there's still a manual motion on the other side of it. So, you know, it's a little bit of both. There's probably no one single version that's true across the entire team. And I think, you know, both of those things have allowed us to scale probably where we need to, because in, in, in some ways, like I kind of, you know, especially as you move further out market, I, I wouldn't want people using technology too far at scale there because I want them being thoughtful and mindful about the type of communication they're using for the customer they're talking to, making sure that it's lifecycle appropriate, making sure that you do enough research to know what you might be missing. But you know, again, like we have, you know, almost thirty thousand customers at this point. The CSM team is, you know, has grown incrementally quite a bit. But it's never going to be a place where a mid-market CSM has a book smaller than five hundred or six hundred customers. So you know, we we have to do stuff at scale, and I've always had to do it. But the level of automation really kind of depends on the segment that you're in. Yeah, it makes sense. And you also mentioned just now that the the bookends matter a ton, right, on the personalization side. And and you previously referenced the renewal motion. At one of the places I worked, they had a catchy phrase, ask at 90 to drive renewals. And that had a tremendous impact on the timeliness of renewals, a tremendous impact on net and gross retention. Do you have something similar? Yeah, so we we, we have a similar motion there. Ours, again, a little bit different based on the size and, uh, and stage of the customer. So ours is, uh, you know, 45, 60, 90, depending on the size of the customer. That is one place where we have leveraged technology 100%. We hard-coded all of our renewal outreach into Marketo a while ago. It's not a Salesforce problem necessarily. It's a companies don't know what Salesforce should look like five years from the time they found it. So they just start building layer on top of layer and eventually realize that it's just not done well and that the architectural pieces of it don't work the way they want it to. Our problem with that specifically is that the renewal ops and Salesforce have always been a challenge. They're static. They don't pull the right ARR information. They're pulling, they, it's historically pulled bill date, but not renewal date. Like we've had all of these back and forth things. So we've hard coded all of our renewal outreach for SMB and then market against 45 or 60 or 90 days. The enterprise team starts 90 and does very hands-on sort of white glove renewal approaches. It's part of EBRs. It's, you know, just more of a traditional SaaS CS type of a function, but the scaled part of our, our renewal discussions, we are on an auto renewal or we're on annual contracts for the most part. Our scaled approach was what we want to do with a renewal discussion is use it as a business review opportunity. What we want to do is make sure that we give them an opportunity and get a chance to chat and catch up about what's happening in their business world and what their plan looks like for the next year. So we reframe our renewal discussions around that. It's not so much about the mechanics of the renewal for lots of customers. I think this is probably true at a lot of companies right now. Renewal is actually not always viewed as a buying moment. <laughs> Sometimes it's, and right now I would say it's more con- considered a negotiating moment than a buying moment. The difference with us here is that again, because we have like, you know, a low ACV, high, high volume customer base, but non-daily use, 
we're trying to like give the opportunity for a customer to engage with with us at the renewal, but the renewal itself as a motion until you get into the enterprise book where those are generally not auto renew and need you know procurement teams to get involved and things of that nature. Well, a lot of our renewal process is fairly smooth and handle, is handled on its own. I'm just going to hit you with two kind of final questions to to wrap up. So, a uh, question for you is: What impact do you think AI will have on the future of customer success? Good question. I think it will have it could have vast impact on scaling customer success. That's very possible. You know, if you think about customer success more broadly, and a lot of companies would that would include support and implementations, and at Carta very soon will probably. I would say like there's impact on those parts of the organization that have always been looking for ticket deflection and looking for opportunities to scale customer interactions in a way that they've never been able to do as effectively as they want. So if you think about transactional situations like that, tons of impact. There's no way it won't have that kind of impact. For those parts of the business, I think very impactful. For scaled CS, you know, even potentially for parts of like where we sit in SMB, sure. I mean, if it continues to develop from a natural language process perspective, the way that people think it will. I could definitely see it being impactful, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it will never solve for upmarket problems. You know, most customers, especially when you're talking about very sensitive information and, you know, very specific case specific discussions, even if they want to get, you know, 75% of their information before talking to somebody directly. And even if that information is fully accurate all the way up to that 75%, there are some final decisioning things that I think will always be better served by a person. So I'm not worried that it's going to be like replaces the industry. Do I think it will help the scaled part of it? It certainly could. I see just the value, immediate value and immediate changes happening for parts of organizations and spe- specifically support teams because the game has been everywhere. It's just whether it's B2B or B2C, the world has been moving in that direction for a while. If you've had any customer support experience anywhere in the last couple of years, it's become increasingly difficult to talk to somebody. But, you know, if, if it were to be more effective and accurate, would everybody would everybody accept, um, you know, sort of the replacement, not the current world of chatbots that exist in the support world, but something that was a little bit more intuitive? I could see there being value in that. I'm also with you on the high end where there's both the human aspect, like sort of the behavioral economic side, which is the trust and empathy that comes from a human interaction on a on a very sensitive topic. And then also context. Context is very hard to get. Yeah. It, it is very hard to get. If somebody gives you a dollar versus no dollars, if somebody has purchased something with you, there is an incentive for them to want to understand what they purchased and use it and all those other things. But there's also the more of those dollars that were spent, the more context matters. And so if you're talking about somebody who just signed up to you know an SMB and is giving you a couple thousand dollars, I, you know that problem is not the same as somebody who's been with you for five or six years and is, is you know in a six-figure contract where the context of their ask is super important and context in AI is still like maybe the one I wouldn't call it like you know gap necessarily but it's the more unknown part of it to me. Yeah, you basically have to train the AI on that contextual situation. Last kind of fun final question: What were you doing the last time you found yourself in a state of flow? State of flow. It's been a while. I will tell you that. The last time I was in a state of flow, I'm a musician, so I would say probably you know playing guitar, and it's been longer than I would like to admit since I was in that state of flow, but uh, I've been playing music my whole life. I've been playing since I was an early teenager. I did some uh, touring. We were actually signed to a record label many years ago. I've got young kids at home, so it's difficult to get back into that state of flow and work. It's hard to even put your headphones on and stay focused for a long time because Slack is a distraction and 
we're back in office a couple days a week, so it's hard to stay focused in that way. But my, uh, my natural state of flow is definitely playing music. Well, a man of many talents, Daniel. Uh, it was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.